The following podcast may contain material that is not suitable for children. Last year, people watched over 4.4 billion hours of porn on Pornhub. That translates to about 6.7 thousand visits every second. On Tuesday, Utah Governor Gary R. Herbert is planning to sign two pieces of legislation that aim to combat what's called a sexually toxic environment caused by porn. This resolution declares that pornography is a public health hazard that equates violence toward women and children with sex and pain with pleasure, which increases the demand for sex trafficking, prostitution, child sexual abuse images, and child pornography. Oh, if you want to ban porn, that's virtually impossible to do. But it's a it's impossible. It's impossible. People will give up drugs before they give up porn. That's exactly right. Well, how do you think porn affects relationships? I think porn affects relationships like the Matrix affected martial arts. I think it sets up uh, an idea that is unreachable, unreal, and uh, damaging in the long run. Um, I think that porn can absolutely destroy relationships. Speaking as a man, I know that if I'm looking at pornography that objectifies other women, most times I'm going to put an image in my mind that is my personally selected ideal and that ends up that ends up being a challenge for my wife because then her the, her first reaction is I can never live up to that or how could I live up to that? I think porn can take the place of real relationships and working through problems. Um, it's a good way. It's like an outlet for emotions and um, feeling connection, but it's not a real connection, so it it actually can cause more distance between people. Hi. Hi. I was just at the bank, and there was this really hot teller, and she didn't ask me to go do it with her in the vault. (laughs) Same kind of thing happened to me. Woman pizza delivery guy comes over. Gives me the pizza, takes the money, and leaves. What, no, like, nice apartment? Bet the bedrooms are huge? No, nothing! You know what? We have to turn off the porn. I think you're right. I like. All right, ready? One, two, three. That's kind of nice. Yeah, it's kind of a relief. You want to see if we still have it? Yeah. Fishers of Men podcast brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. And today's podcast is about the struggle with porn. Right. So today we are going to be bringing you an interview with Bruce and Jeannie Hanneman. They're a couple with firsthand experience about the impact that porn has on relationships and also can give their personal testimony to how successful recovery is possible. But they are professionals that have started two ministries for porn recovery. They've worked with thousands of individuals who are struggling, also their spouses, parents, and children. They've been traveling in the U.S. and Canada training clergy on this issue, and they've also served as consultants for the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops document on pornography. What I really loved about them was just their openness about their story, and so please enjoy. Okay, so 
So at nine years old, I found my first pornography. Um, there was an instant lure to it when I saw it. Um, I looked at it, I put it away, but I returned to it again because there was some kind of attraction or pull to it. My dad eventually found out that I was using it and looking at it, and at that time, what he said to me was that it's a guy thing, pornography is a guy thing, and I was going to be a man, uh, I was already nine, so uh, go ahead and look at it and use it. But the key was always put it back, and the second key was always make sure that it was kept a secret, that my mother, for sure, never knew that this stuff existed. And so that started the struggle that went on basically through my whole childhood, into my adolescence, into even into starting into high school. I was having these struggles of going back to it and going away from it for a while, saying, no, I don't want to do it anymore, because I felt very shameful about it, but then somehow being pulled back to it again and wanting to go back and look at it because of the lure and the attraction. Now, by that time in high school, Jeannie and I had already started to be having conversations about things, and since we, our families knew each other, and we knew each other from growing up on, she was part of the fact of knowing that one of the things I struggled with was this print-based magazine pornography. Now, I, well, you eventually made plans to get married, and both of us thought that this issue he had with being pulled towards pornography was because he was not sexually active. And so we felt that once we got married, this would no longer be an issue. But, of course, uh, it was. And so shortly after our marriage, we actually began our marriage therapy and therapy to try to help him uh, release himself from this uh, draw to pornography. And it seemed to work for a while, and then it would come back again, work for a while, and it would come back again. Um, and we tried everything, everything that we could find out there to really uh, stop this pull he had towards pornography. Um, and then when I thought things were starting to, to come around and, and work pretty well, uh, I started to notice, however, that my husband, who taught chemistry at the college level, a highly intelligent man, that he was starting to become antisocial. He was starting to have trouble carrying on conversations, and there were a lot of um, problems that we started seeing with him. And eventually we found out that this was due to the fact that he had now gotten into Internet pornography. And Internet pornography, first of all, was something she did not know about. I kept that a secret from her. And I was literally becoming as dumb as a box of rocks. Mm. Um, there was a lot of brain damage going on from this. And like she said, the antisocial nature of it all. So uh, it was it was taking a whole different course because Internet pornography is different than print-based pornography. Print-based pornography, you get a monthly issue. Um, you get a certain number of pages for 30 days, and then you wait for the next one because after a few days of the first issue, nothing's exciting anymore. But with the Internet, you can keep your brain stimulated and keep it going as fast as you can, building up more adrenaline, building up more excitement, more anticipation, building up more fantasy in your life because it's endless. On the Internet, it's an absolutely endless search and an endless supply of things that are out there. And so what happened was that as he disclosed this to me, um, we began to search for help for him to recover from Internet pornography now. And we tried everything, including some in-house treatment, everything we could, and nothing was really able to, to bring the healing that we were looking for until we came across an online uh, recovery program based on the brain science of change. And it turns out that we now know that Bruce was the third person in the world to go through this program, which was a remarkable program that a wonderful gentleman had put in over two and a 
half million dollars into the development of this program because he knew there had to be some way to help people. And in that process, they created the Brain Science of Change exercises to retrain a person's brain. And it really worked. And Bruce finally had the complete healing that he really needed. And so shortly after that, we received a new bishop in our diocese, and we are the founders of Elizabeth's ministry. And in talking with us, he asked us to study a program that would address the issue of pornography. So we shared with him our own personal story and our story of both uh, the pornography addiction and the recovery. And long story short, uh, he orchestrated with us the ability to take um, that program through a partnership and uh, transcribe into it a Catholic version so that now there is a Catholic version of this program that has an imprimatur, um, and it is truly saving many, many people um, and helping them get out of this pornography addiction. On a practical level, what did recovery look like for you as a couple with your relationship to each other and with the people around you? You had mentioned that Bruce kind of became antisocial and... How did you, as his wife, deal with that? Did you know this was due to his addiction? Did you address it um, in your social settings after you had been to a party, for example? How did that all look like um, living through it? Well, when it was happening, I had absolutely no idea that he was into Internet pornography or that this had anything to do with it, and he had no idea that this had anything to do with his Internet pornography activities. So um, what we did know, it was just not myself noticing. It was family. It was friends all noticing that um, he wasn't hearing us. Um, he wasn't participating in things. He was always kind of staring off in space. But in essence, what we now know is he was living in fantasy world, um, and that was what was pulling him away. And in that that time period, everyone was very worried about him. Um, we were worried that he had a brain tumor and, you know, all kinds of things like that. And, and so once we um, he disclosed what was happening and we began to do more research, we did discover that, you know, this is a common response to people who are caught up into Internet pornography. Um, and so at that point, um, it was very, very difficult for me. I was very, very hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the time with the pornography, the print-based, um, as a couple, we were fighting this. Now, this is something he had done completely secretively from me. I felt extremely betrayed. Um, I was caught up in trauma uh, through that process. And so um, we reached a very difficult time before we found um, the online recovery program, we um, we were in a very bad, bad place. Um, he was actually had, um, you know, contemplated uh, committing suicide, and I had contemplated divorce. And so we were at our lowest point when we were able to find this help that we needed. Once we found this, one of the things in the Reclaim program is that there are many, many hours of video component to this that teach you about the brain science and what is happening. And so we watched those together, and that just brought a sense of calmness to me because I I began to understand and realize that this uh, wasn't something that um, I was to blame for. It wasn't anything about me. Um, I began to recognize and see some of the things that they were teaching us as 
um, a way for us both to heal because it helped him to heal from pornography, but I also use many of the brain exercises to heal myself from the trauma. Wow. What kind of brain exercises? Can you give us examples of what that looked like? The brain exercises are used to help us to to control what's in our brain that's called neuroplasticity. It's like if you exercise any muscle in your body, um, it grows and it strengthens. Well, if you exercise processes within your brain, what happens is you grow brain connections. We have, we have neuroplastic brain cells, which means every day, every thought we have makes a connection within our brain. And what's happened in the person who's struggling is that they have made so many bad connections that they just keep multiplying these compulsions and these habits and behaviors. So what needs to be done with the brain sciences, exercises do step by step, is they start at the bottom and they take you back through re-exercise the purpose that the guy designed for, for human sexuality. And that means then that because of the neuroplasticity, we really let down a new set of thoughts, a new set of wires, a new set of behaviors. And because we stop using the old ones, they literally wither away. And so eventually we replace the good with, I replace the old with all of the good stuff. Is this something that can be done with any addiction or specifically with porn? Like associating something bad with something... Um, well, when when they, when they created this program, it was specifically uh, to deal with unhealthy sexual behaviors, not just pornography, but any unhealthy sexual behaviors. That was their intent. But once they discovered and had all these different kinds of um, very science of change exercises, um, it was soon figured out that it could also work for any unhealthy behaviors. Um, and I'd even push it one step further. I had a massive shock a year ago and I was paralyzed on the, the complete left side of my body and while laying in the hospital that first night and realizing this I knew that many of the exercises that are used in the reclaim program are brain exercises that were developed based on some of the neuroplasticity studies that were done on stroke patients and so I just took one of the exercises and I worked it non-stop for five straight hours and five hours later, I was starting to move the left side of my body. And right now, I am, you know, doing perfectly fine after a massive stroke that way. Wow. So it not only can help with other addictions, but it can also help with anything that needs retraining in the brain. Wow. And so could you all comment a little bit about the spiritual component that you've brought into the to the science? Sure. Um, first of all, uh, when I was going through my struggles, I, I was using spiritual direction. I was using the sacrament of reconciliation, and I was using you know some several priests that were very very good with spiritual warfare. And when all of that was coming together along with the brain science, that was really what cured me. That healed me. That was the most effective combination. And so when we started to put in the, the spiritual components into the program, those were the things we were looking for, things that were spiritually directed, things that were reconciliation-based, um, things that were spiritual warfare-based, all that kind of stuff that used the, the riches of the Catholic Church. What we found out is that the Catholic Church has always had all of the answers for eons of time, but those are all practices that are kind of either 
you know, used separately or else they're, they're, you know, used hit and miss, like Easter obligations and stuff like that. We found out that concentrating on those and using them grew the same kind of neural pathways as the other brain exercises did. And, it, and again, as we were adding this, it was very, very easy to do so because um, when, when I went through the, the program with my husband, um, I used to work for Catholic Radio and part of my job was to make sure everything was very Catholic and so I've got a, a, a very a keen sense of identifying something as there isn't. And I was really sure that this program um, was a Catholic program because it, it fits so well with Catholic teaching. And so when we worked with some of the, the Catholic experts to, to help bring Catholicism's um, wealth of, of faith practices into this program, it was very easy to do so. Um, it was very scriptural um, based from the, the standpoint that one of the exercises, brain science exercises in it, that's called Faith That Replaced the Connect, is, um, was very in tune with exactly what Jesus did when Satan was tempting him in the desert. And so he, he didn't run away. Uh, you know, too many people in, in many of the programs that Bruce tried to go through for recovery kept uh, teaching him the avoidance technique, uh, to the white knuckle, try harder, all those things. And what the brain scientists were able to identify is that backfires and doesn't work. You have to face your problem, not run away from it. Well, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the desert, Jesus didn't run away. He turned into Satan, and he took the lies of Satan and replaced them with truth. And that is part of the exercises that you go through in this program. And so it really it was true science, which we believe it is. It would have to line up perfectly with with scripture and with church teaching, and that's exactly what it did. And that's why it was um, a pleasure to work with it to add the Catholic component, and how we were very easily able to then get the imprimatur because it all fits beautifully together. Because the God who created our brains and our bodies to work a certain way is the God who inspired the scriptures and church teaching, so all of it works together. But what we have in the program is um, in a desire for the people who are going through this to first of all have a little a little understanding in the beginning and then gradually develop deeper understanding of what really is God's plan for sexuality. So we use uh, you know theology of the body as presented within the program and you know all of the wealth of, of the teachings of the Catholic Church on sexuality. And so people are seeing the truth because uh, through pornography and the sexually the culture we live in, too many lies of Satan have been interspersed through sexuality. So we have to help people understand really what is God's plan for sexuality. And so there's also getting that kind of information at the same time as the working on the brain exercises to retrain the brain. Can I, do you mind if I go back and just talk about your personal story for a moment? Uh, how I know you talked about how the difficulties between you two, your relationship being effective, of course it would be, but in a marriage relationship and as you know, as you got to the point of wanting to be or being suicidal and on your part, Jeannie, to 
want to divorce him. I mean, how did that relationship look like and how long was it? How many years did it go on before he sought to seek help? Um, what did it, what, how did that affect your sex life, your just married life in general and how you related to each other? Can, can we go a little bit back into that? Sure. I'm interested in the effects of pornography, of course, not just within a marriage, but because you have such firsthand experience in that, I'd love to just talk about that some more. Sure. And, um, you know, I think a, a good way to do that is, Bruce, if you can, in general, and then to be able to say this was a part of, of the difficulty we had, was what happens to someone, um, and this is what's so scary today because it's happening to a lot of someone with um, young people being involved with Internet porn, that with Bruce's habit starting at such a young age, how your arousal template and everything gets set, and that was our problem, but it's also Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the arousal template is set within three months after beginning masturbation, and, and compulsive masturbation was a really heavy part of our of my story <laughs> and everybody's story that we talk to and that we work with. And there's a couple of things that happen there. First of all, the the chemical release that comes from masturbation at first is extremely high. It's a very high release of chemicals, and so it gives these this, this pleasurable feeling. And it, it teaches you or it makes a connection between the pleasure feeling and the objectification that you are creating by looking at or participating in these pornographic fantasies. Mm. And so what it does to a relationship is it allows you or it causes you to see uh, women as objects. And that becomes then an item for your use, and it's connected to an item for your use for your pleasure. So it takes the relationship out of it, and it makes you basically a narcissistic, um, yeah. self-pleasuring individual, mm. which is, you know, obviously very hard in a relationship. Then the next thing that happens is that after you compulsively masturbate, your body gets used to that to the point where you have to masturbate harder and harder and harder in order to be able to achieve any pleasure because that, at that point it becomes uh, the kind of compulsion and the kind of brain chemistry that we said we're an alcoholic. Uh, you start maybe by drinking beer, and pretty soon beer isn't enough to get you where you need to go, and that's when you start progressing to higher and higher alcohol levels. Well, here you progress to higher and higher forms and different forms of porn, some of them uh, pretty sorted and whatever because you have to have, uh, you have to have all this different novelty. Mm-hmm. And along with that, the masturbation at that point then actually shuts down your arousal system so that you no longer can be aroused or stimulated uh, because you basically worn yourself out in it and that so we have for real people so what you have is you have people that have in order to have a relationship with their spouse they need the Viagra at any age because they're no longer to maintain an erection um, with a real relationship and so, you know, this was a component in our relationship, um, and we didn't, of course, understand the brain science behind it. And when it was um, proof-based, it wasn't as um, drastic of a situation. And so was our intimate relationship always the best? No, because he had already warped his mind, as he said, into this uh, looking at women as objects. So there were issues there. But once he got into this Internet form um, and what that uh, did to his body and his ability to be aroused by me really decreased um, to almost nothing. 
And so then that's when we began to having having problems um, completing the marital act. And that is a very common story that you will hear in people in these kinds of situations. Now, again, I didn't understand what was going on. He didn't understand what was going on. Now, when you say how long did it last, that stage of, of the suicidal and the divorce contemplation, it actually did not last very long at all. Um, it was when he um, came clean to me and he disclosed all of these things. And then his shame, by disclosing all of this, his shame rose um, just horrendously. And that's where he began to think suicidally. And my hurt got so strong that I began um, thinking about divorce. But again, um, we have a very solid friendship. We've been friends our entire lives. And we also are very faith-filled, and, and so we turned um, to spiritual directors, we turned um, to our faith, and we, we prayed, and we just kept saying we could not um, walk away from our relationship, but we had to get through this. And so it was it was a very short time that that was the issue. Again, um, we found some amazing things. One of the in-house places that he went to um, before we found um, the, the Reclaim program is that in that place, um, they, they showed something that happens with the rosary. And we smiled at that when we learned it, and I'll let Bruce share that. But um, that had been our grounding force throughout our marriage, throughout all of this experience had done the rosary that was I you know if I have to give credit to something that that was the prayer tool that kept our marriage together it would be the rosary but but I'd like Bruce to share what he learned about the rosary yes what I learned about it is that first of all um by doing functional MRIs of brains, we were shown at the seminar, we were shown brains uh, that were severely damaged. Uh, and that's because of the fact that the pornography de deactivates the frontal lobe of your brain. The frontal lobe is the part of your brain that has moral reasoning, logic, self-control. Uh, all of the good characters are in your frontal cortex. And these brain scans were showing that that was pretty much offline uh, on people that were struggling with, uh, with this pornography addiction. But then they showed us, uh, they had done a study, and at that point it wasn't scientific yet, it was anecdotal, but they had done a study where they allowed these people that they scanned to choose a form of meditation for 20 minutes and then re-enter the functional MRI and get another brain scan. And what they discovered, the person who they had, who was a Catholic man who decided he was going to say one day's mysteries of the rosaries, when he went back into the scanning machine, he had already begun to restore blood flow and activity in that frontal cortex, which just blew the scientist's mind away because they realized there's something really powerful here. And so when they presented this, they just asked, is anybody in this crowd Catholic? And it turns out there were three of us that were. And the, the presenter said, well, you have got it. You have really got everything you need to work on recovery because look how fast you can regrow your brain and remake those connections using the tools and the prayers and the faith of the Catholic Church. Wow. That's a powerful testimony. Yeah. I, I have a question. Um, so I know that you all regularly are seeing and treating lots of people with your ministry. So do you have any advice for how people could start conversations about this? Because this is one of those issues that um, probably affects all generations at this point, but especially for us, you know, we're both younger, we're both in our thirties and people in our generation, it seems 
Um, like this is so common and it feels so pervasive, but nobody wants to talk about it. And, and it's, it's even kind of one of those things that, you know, if you're dating someone, you should maybe bring it up, but you're not really exactly sure how to, or how to talk about it. So do you all have any advice for that? Absolutely. And what we, we really encourage people, especially in, you know, the 20s and 30s when you're, you're making plans for, you know, dating and getting married and things like that is that you really want to be able to, uh, talk about the need that there is in the culture we live in today where all of this unhealthy sexual behavior is accepted as norm. I mean, you can't turn on a, a television show without seeing some kind of, um, horrendous sexual behavior happening and definitely movies are filled with it and jokes and, and everything. So, you know, the need to be able to start the conversation and one of the, the kind of slogans that we, we want to start a campaign, maybe you can help us, that we want to call secret no more, meaning that we can't be secret anymore about these unhealthy sexual behaviors that are running rampant in our culture. So to be able to start the conversations with the idea that if you grew up in America in the last couple decades, you have had so much unhealthy sexual behavior bombarding you that we all need to purify our passions. And so to begin that conversation on a, on a caring level for one another and saying, you know, most likely, you know, you've, you've been somewhat caught up maybe in pornography or you start talking about this and saying there, there's a way out. You don't have to live this way. And one of the funny things that, that we found is that um, it isn't the faith-based groups that are leading this charge. It's actually um, secular groups. In fact, um, the, what Bruce shared with you about how uh, this act, these acts of masturbation and, and things that go along with pornography are, are destroying people's abilities to relate um, to real women or, or real women to relate to real men if it's vice versa because both sexes are caught up in this. But there was a, an atheist man who on Reddit uh, posted something when he began to see that he believed that his excessive pornography and masturbation behaviors were dulling him to being interested in real women that he posted on Reddit that he wanted um, people to give up masturbation and to pledge themselves to do that. And within, I think it was just a couple months, he had over 65,000 people sign that pledge. And now there's like over 200,000 people have signed that. There's another gentleman who started something that he calls the Unplugged um, Nation, where people are going to stop using pornography and masturbation so that they have the ability to have real relationships again. And neither one of the people who started this are coming from a faith-based perspective. So I think that if you start with some of the science of this and you share this with, you know, friends and others and just begin to talk about how this destroys your brain, how this can ruin relationships and begin to, to grab onto some of those scientific pieces that everyone likes to talk about. And then you can be able to say, oh, yeah, by the way, the church has always said these things as well. So um, I think it's easier to start the conversation than people realize. Mm. Thank you. That's a really great point. That's fantastic. I think a lot of this is great for people to hear, to be able to know that 
<laughs> the stats are probably really staggering when it comes to men and women both mm-hmm. as far as what this how this affects people and how much it affects people and how many people are living in the secret I love this you're doing this campaign secret no more I think that's a really great title mm-hmm. or a, a, at least a t- mm-hmm. you know, hashtag <laughs> oh yeah and, and we would love to to later on down the road talk with you all about uh, helping you with that kind of campaign because that's really right up our alley, I think. But thank you so much. Cause it's so encouraging to hear the science aspects and it's also very encouraging to hear the spiritual aspect and just to hear in general that recovery is possible because yeah. like I said before, sometimes it feels like such a big problem that it's it like mm-hmm. can, can't be overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but thank well, you so much. Yeah, it does, and then, you know, again, back to my personal side of my story, so much of what had been traditional in the recovery world was this idea, once an addict, always an addict, mm-hmm. and then when they started talking about sexual addiction, um, when I really started to get despair, it was saying, what do you mean I'm going to be facing this the rest of my life? This is the way i got to live. That's the kind of thing that starts prompting those despairing suicide moments, and the truth is, uh, once an addict, always an addict doesn't follow the teachings of Jesus at all. He, you know, he was walking around healing people while he was on earth. Um, he still heals today. He's timeless and generationless. And for us, as faithful people, for us to even think about the fact that we couldn't be healed from this would be hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a heresy, you know, to actually discredit the healing power of Jesus. And right in Scripture, it says, you know, that how you do this is through the renewal of the mind. And that's exactly what the Reclaim Program um, offers to people is a renewing of the mind. Okay, great. Awesome. We'll definitely point people to the Reclaimed website as, as well as any other sources. Um, it has been a pleasure you know, to speak to you. What I thought that, that just struck my mind in talking about sharing with other people and, and what I would say with that is that one of the things that, that scientists have come up to understand is that if a person is afraid, then their prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of your brain, the oral reasoning part of your brain, it stops working. Mm-hmm. And so if if there's anything that is done um, to scare someone, you know, to, to threaten them, you know, to make make them afraid, they're not going to be able to pull out of this recovery. So it, it can't be an ultimatum. It can't be something that's um, done with anger. Um, it has to be that this is something that we can all lovingly care for each other and know that Satan has gone after um, us in this arena of sexual health. And so we need to support one another, not attack one another if they're having this problem, um, because then they're not going to be able to recover. So to me, it's just beautiful that uh, the Catholic Church has always had in our masses um, that, you know, we have to, you know, the current prayer says, what does it say, lead us, you know, protect us from all disaster, keep us safe from all distress, keep us safe from all distress before it was protect us from all anxiety and getting the two times. Um, but both of those are telling us exactly what we need to hear. Because if we have um, distress, anxiety, fear, then we're not going to be thinking. We're not going to have a moral reasoning to support us. And so we have to approach all of this from a very loving and caring and tender way, but a way that says there is hope and there is healing. And so, you know, I would hope that the message that anyone that hears this podcast 
podcast is going to get is you can recover from this. Do not believe the people who say once an addict, always an addict, or any of the other things. There is hope and there is healing. And Scripture tells us not to be afraid um, over and over and over again. And so don't be afraid. Um, reach out. There is hope and there is help out there. Wow, that's a great way to end it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. And definitely a great reminder that we all need to be more loving and grace, full of grace, full of grace. Yes. For each other. That's great. Bruce and Jeannie, thank you again so much for joining us on our podcast. And I Mm -hmm. thank you. Keep doing the work that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us. And I'm glad that we were able to work through the technical difficulties. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Us too. All right. All right. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Good night. So that's just crazy that he started at nine years old. Yeah. I mean, that could really mess you up. I mean, this whole notion about being a man. And how masculinity is tied in with this secrecy. Oh, that's that makes me so sad. Another thing that really caught my ear was when they were talking about living in a fantasy world. I mean, there's this whole thing about porn that sets up these ideals of what sex should be or what the woman should look like. Imperfection and, yeah. In a way that obviously is so unnatural. And and also behavior, not even just appearances. And the sound bites that I picked up on the people we talked to, a prevalent thing that they kept saying was just the, the mismanagement of the expectations between a couple, between wanting like the good stuff, but getting that tainted with this fantasy world of the porn industry, the images that it creates, the expectations that it creates. I mean, it's devastating. And when they were speaking about that period of their life where he was contemplating suicide and she was, you know, really struggling with divorcing him or not, I just feel like that is such an indication of addiction generally whether it's porn whether it's crack whether it's this or that you know addiction is such a behavior that affects all of your relationships and i think that was really heartbreaking to hear but then the subsequent uh recovery of all of that and her just like unconditional love like obviously exactly like just just having to work through that though i think is such a testament to their um, walk and their love for not just each other, but for God and the covenant mm-hmm. that they set up together. Yeah. And I think that's really beautiful because, you know, I, I would like to think that I could be the type of woman that can be strong in that way. But until you're there, you're, you don't know what you're made of. And I can imagine that this would be something that would be so devastating. I don't know. God willing, I'd never have to. Yeah, let's hope go. this. But, but the again, stats aren't necessarily in our favor on that one. Oh no. Again, I I'm sorry that this seems to be all very obviously very one sided in terms of like <laughs> of course we believe that this is wrong and uh, just because not just the relational aspect I think a lot of people would agree that it does something to a relationship but on a science level what i appreciate from bruce and Jeannie was they talked about the science of it and the brain how it is morphed and how it has changed yeah and that's a lot harder to argue with 
It really is. It, it, it's separated from the faith component, which, of course, right. we would stand on because that's where we're coming from. But just from a objective, scientific point of view, addiction for anybody, whether or not it's porn or drugs or otherwise, is just sad because that's somebody obviously needing help. And I think the relational part, obviously, as a um, consequence of that, of course, is the, the really devastating part mm-hmm. because if you can't connect to your mate in this way um we'll say spouse in this way that is really lonely and you know there obviously this For is both a, of you. this is a topic that no one wants to talk about and what i again appreciate by bruce and Jeannie's story and their ministry is that they want to bring this out in the open and if people are being affected by this on a level that we don't even want to talk about because we know that is the statistically nine out of 10 people are going to be affected by this, um, we don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. It brings shame and guilt. And what I love about their ministry is that, look, let's tackle this head on. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out a way to bring it into the light with without it just being prayer or avoidance or avoidance, you know, we need to be transparent about these things because they're very real. And, you know, something like this, like porn or masturbation or anything like that, it's very difficult to talk about. And I get that. Mm -hmm. But if you have close friends or if it's a problem, like an addiction, you need to get help. And it's also not something that we just have to settle and resign ourselves to because, um, you know, like I was at a party recently and this, I just walked into the kitchen and this conversation was already going on. I have no idea what they were talking about, but I, the part that I walked in on, somehow porn came up. And so this guy turned to me and this other woman was like, just a tip, ladies, don't date a guy who's into porn. And I was like, well, thanks for the advice. And I don't intend to, but how do you find out? Like when, like, is it the third date? You know, like when, when do you, you bring up like... So, like, are you into porn? You know? And so we were joking, actually, that on online profiles, it should be like, you know, smoke. Do you smoke? <laughs> yes or no. You know, do you drink alcohol? <laughs> do you watch porn? You know, it, it kind of should be one of those things on there because it's it is one of those things that's pr- actually pretty fun- fundamental to how you view sexuality mm. and how you view other people. And, you know, if you do find yourself dating someone like, I don't know if you remember the Jennifer Lawrence hacking scandal yeah. where, you know, she had naked pictures of herself hacked. And a lot of people said, well, the answer to that is just to not take naked pictures of yourself. And her response was, okay, well, I'm in a long distance relationship. My boyfriend lives on the other side of the country. Either I can resign myself to the idea of him watching porn, or I can send him naked pictures of myself for him to use. And I would rather him look at me. And I was like, man, talk about a rock and a hard place, you know? But it's like, it made me feel so sad for her that she felt like she had to make that choice in order to keep her relationship Mm -hmm. alive. And then she suffered for it. She ended up getting those pictures stolen and everybody was looking at her, literally her private business. Yeah. (laughs) All her business. Yeah. Um, that is a really tough decision because, you know, obviously, especially from like maybe a, even a believer's point of view, it's like, why should that even be a choice? You yeah. Know? Like, why do Why I should ha- that be like yeah. a 
a must have in your relationship? There are things we all need to work at instead of like trying to worry about what to put on our quote unquote, um, dating profile. It's like, (laughs) um, realize that again, grace needs to be had on both sides. And instead of pulling the finger at each other, it's like, well, I got stuff I got to work through all the time. We're not going to be perfect ever. Yeah. But I do agree your friend saying, you know, if, or, you know, if he's, if he is into porn, maybe don't date him. Like maybe, maybe there's a point where of course you need to kind of figure out like what is fundamentally, what maturity level do you want Mm. to find a person? Because again, if you're not going to be perfect, there's going to be a maturity level that you're at. And maybe it's just in the timing that you Mm. have to really think about. Anyway, oh, one last thing before we we finish on this topic. They were saying, um, Bruce and Jeannie, that is, were saying that the groups that are leading the recovery of porn addiction were actually not faith-based, which I found so encouraging. Yeah. You know, because the view that it is a problem is not just coming from Christians. Exactly. Yeah, it, it really is a human problem. Yeah, and the fact that it affects your brain, I find that very fascinating and, you know, really horrifying (laughs) for how easy it is to access any of this yeah so we were trying to figure out what we can say about this the the bible doesn't really talk about porn i mean there are the verses about jesus talking about lust in your hearts and Mm -hmm. and all of that and there's certainly things about adultery that we can probably bring up but that's a different episode so based on their ministry we wanted to bring something up about Jesus healing because um, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus can heal and addiction is a, a disease and there is hope in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God, you know, coming into your life and being that powerful. Um, we wanted to bring up Luke 8, uh, the woman with the 12 year, 12 year period from hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you really think about it, that was awful i mean 12 years they had they didn't have cotex yeah um, there, there's tampax <laughs> the feminine hygiene department yeah in the ancient middle east was probably not what we know it at and even today it's really not yeah. that convenient and imagine i mean <laughs> sorry men for alienating you but i mean just like how awful you feel you yeah. know your so iron fatigued. is being drained from you and you're not getting all the minerals or whatever it is um just your, literally your lifeblood uh, leaving you. yes it's it sucks <laughs> men be grateful um but you know all that aside it's awful right so in Luke 8, it starts in verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, so all her money on trying to figure this out, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and you're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What I love about that, and you said it earlier, was that she had a She's coming to him. Yeah, she's coming to him. And in a lot of ways, I feel like 
and I don't mean for this to sound hollow because I know it can sound hollow to a lot of people, but whatever it is, is your ailment, whether it's addiction, whether it's a broken heart, you know, we find ourselves reaching out to God in, in the places where we are finding ourselves in the darkest places. But she reached out, and I think God really wants us to do that, and mm-hmm. it'll bring us to a place where we're relying on nothing but Him. Mm-hmm. And this sort of thing, addiction, ruins families, and it ruins relationships. It ruins ourselves. And I think that the glory and hope in Jesus for His coming down and saving us from that that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that maybe there are those out there listening right now that are experiencing family members or even yourself are going through something where Jesus has not done that yet. Mm-hmm. But be encouraged. You know, he loves you still. And there is hope. I mean, Joseph endured 20 years of slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a variety of people of the Bible that suffered for years. Mm-hmm. And even Paul says, right, like, I do that which I hate. Mm-hmm. You know? And there are things that we don't understand in this life. And the faith piece is trusting God with whatever experiences we're having right now. And that is a hard thing. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. It's really, really hard. But God loves us, and He wants better for us. (sighs) So that's kind of a heavy... (laughs) heavy episode let's, guys let's move to a real life dating moment yes which will is sure to delight and entertain all because <laughs> it's from my dating life <laughs> um you know oh gosh i can't wait for you to tell yours okay because it's yeah so coming off of our porn episode so yeah so we're talking about porn and its effects and i think it's had such uh uh, pervasive is a word I used earlier, but it really has had such a pervasive influence on every aspect of our culture. And so I call it kind of the pornification of our culture. And it really does affect dating a lot, I mm. think, it, where sometimes I'll get these crazy messages from guys that they just expect me to be ready to have sex with them at that exact moment. Like, like be ready to go meet them for the first time and have sex with them. I wonder if you just say like, "Oh, I'm very devout Catholic. Do you, if we want to get married tomorrow, <laughs> I can." <laughs> no, I mean sometimes I I have kind of like said that, but most of the time it's just not worth it to say anything. No, but you know? to scare them off by saying like, "If we marry tomorrow, then I'm down," and then you'll never hear it from <laughs> them like, again. I okay, maybe, maybe the next time I'll, I'll try that. God willing, the uh, next time. Uh, I know, but last June. I started getting these messages from this one guy, and uh, he messaged me for a total of two days, and unfortunately I did not screenshot the first day, so I just have to kind of retell that uh, this guy messaged me and was like, oh, hey, I'm in your area, let's meet up, and this is on uh, Plenty of Fish, (laughs) uh, which is a free app. And uh, I looked on his profile, and his profile basically had nothing on it. The only thing in the About Me section was must be model skinny fat girls or fat chicks i think are good as wing women only ouch and i was like so i responded to you know i felt like i just couldn't ignore this so i was like uh sorry not model skinny uh don't think this is gonna work out and he kept messaging me oh my gosh in that night i know he messaged me something insulting and it and it was always this back and forth of just like 
oh, well, to that, he said, oh, but you have a nice shape to you. Come on. Like, I really want to meet up, like, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And then after I didn't respond for a while, he, he messaged me with something incredibly insulting, which I don't remember what it was. I wish I did. wish I had screenshot it. But then I thought that you and I could do a little uh, oh, theater well reenactment. <laughs> sure. Because I did screenshot the oh, second no. day. And I, I just want to clarify that after the first day... He had deleted his profile and made a new one, and his oh, new God. username was long underscore hard. Oh, my gosh. So he's obviously a man of uh, metaphor. <laughs> so I thought maybe in this scenario I could play him and you could play me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. Okay. So this is June 11th. And, and 8.01 a.m. 8.01 a.m. Okay. And I was actually in the car on my way to a film festival that my web series was in. Okay. 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 So I'm going to be Mary Ashley. Yeah. Okay. Mary Ashley, let's meet up. You know, I think you look incredible as is no excuses this time. You, we only live once and I want to make love to you very soon. No, thank you. Ha ha. Then why are you on this site? Then to meet someone, you must have a complex or some lose weight and you might get a date. I can't see what you said back. I didn't say anything back. Oh, thank God. No, that, yes, good response. <laughs> I mean, you're much more gracious than I, because yeah. at that point I might have just had so many explicit words for him. Well, I mean, I knew it really wasn't, honestly, like, he wasn't even worth the thank you. I could have just said no, or I could have just said nothing. But, um... No, thank you. I love your... <laughs> no, thank you. I, I couldn't even... I, I really couldn't believe his complimenting me and then insulting me like within and so and that last insult came an hour after he said then why are you on the site to meet someone an hour later he said you must have a complex and i'm like all that i did was say i don't want to meet up with you and have sex with you that's ridiculous i'm sorry but it's like you know in porn the man meets woman woman is they're strangers, usually, I guess. I don't know. I've, I haven't watched it. <laughs> but, but my general understanding is that the scenario is like, I, I don't know. I mean, everything I know about porn like is from friends. Like the pizza delivery man yeah. or whatever comes, or the plumber or whatever comes to the house. or I, I don't know. They meet. They're like instantly ready to have sex. But it is funny. It's like, obviously, this guy has not at all looked at my profile in any way. Yeah, he's just looking for a booty call. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been episode four of Fishers of Men, a podcast about relationships and your walk with Jesus. Today you heard from Bruce and Janie Hanneman, and you can find their ministries at www.reclaimsexualhealth.com or www.elizabethministry.com. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or on our website at www.fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men and on Twitter as at LA Gone Fishing. We'd love to get your rates and your uh, comments on iTunes. That is a way for iTunes to recognize that we are noteworthy yes please do um it is really critical in the first eight weeks that we get rates as well as comments ratings um we'd love to hear about your real life dating moments so feel free to also share with us a two-minute story about your experience to our emails um i'm laura samara i'm mary ashley burton and until next time keep swimming this podcast was made possible by the support of project launch in burbank california 
project launch, bridges the gap between their clients and their customers through face-to-face -face direct sales and consulting. Go to www.projectlaunchinc.com for more information.